0: Not on? Am I on? There we go. Okay. Let's start with prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather and um, fellowship together, hear from your word. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would be honored here. Father, I pray that um, you take the things that you've given me this week, and you use them to speak into the hearts of each one here with what they need to hear from you. And uh, ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. I had a completely different, different sermon plan this week, but uh, as he often does, God had his own plan, and so I had to scrap it in the middle of the week and uh, do something different. So I had started to become kind of, I don't know, down or what the right word is, but just overwhelmed with the state of the world, the evil that is in the world that seems so rampant. I had let my thoughts be overwhelmed with these things that are going on in the world and what the future looks like. The news, if you pay attention to the news at all, it's just filled with stories of war and immorality, children being murdered in their school, the economy seems likely to crash. World leaders seem intent on doing exactly the wrong things to fix any of it. And on top of that, the country is deeply divided, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to have real conversations with people that have different views than you on things in a respectful way. And what really got me down as I was dwelling on these things, which is problem number one right there, um, was just how out of the control of normal people it seems to me. We just must go along with whatever government or unelected leaders that have power decide is best for humanity. And so basically, even though I'd spent the last two weeks preaching on God's goodness and his faithful love, um, I had let my trust in Jesus and peace of mind be impacted by social media and the news. And So, just some encouragement for you there that You know, even people who are putting the sermons together don't always pay attention to them. (laughs) Not that I didn't pay attention to it, but you know, just too much news in my life. My normal routine on weekdays uh, when I drive to work is to load up a couple different podcasts in the morning on my phone. I'll listen to podcasts while I drive to work. And uh, so normally I start with a short little podcast called the 10-Minute Bible Hour and uh, he's working through Matthew, so I'll listen to that. And then I have a news podcast that I listen to. And Wednesday morning, as I was queuing those up in my list, I accidentally loaded up a podcast I, don't, I hadn't listened to before. It's one I had subscribed to and downloaded, but hadn't actually listened to it. And uh, loaded it up on accident. And I decided, since it was there, to go ahead and leave it in my commute playlist, thinking maybe God had something he wanted to, me to hear that podcast that morning. And he sure did. Yeah, the podcast is called In the Lord I Take Refuge. And it's a pastor named Dane Ortland. He just reads through the Psalms. And I think just one a day. I don't know how he handles a longer psalm because I haven't listened to the podcast except for this one episode. But uh, he reads the psalm and then he shares a brief thought. So it was literally like a four-minute long podcast, which if you listen to any podcast, you know that's super short. Um, but... As I listened, uh, it was an immediate attitude correction for me, hearing Psalm 28 is what it was on Wednesday. It just hit me like a ton of bricks, for lack of a better phrase, that I had taken my eyes off of Jesus in matters of what's going on in the world and how to approach it. And um, I knew that God was speaking to me through this scripture, and he used my bumbling thumb to bring his word to me that morning. And so I'm going to share it with you because I feel like it is helpful. So the psalm is not long, and we just listened to it in that song. That, was, that song was literally Psalm 28, um, word for word from the ESV version. I think that was pretty cool that like, people can do that. But I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Psalm 28, a psalm of David. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock, Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planting evil in their hearts. Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they have done to others. They care nothing for what the Lord has done or what his hands have made, so he will tear them down, and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd, and carry them in your arms forever. So I just want to use this psalm as the launching point to talk about what God was saying to me because it was his launching point to me and the message to pass along to you. So starting with the first couple of verses there, uh, you can see that David is desperate as he writes this song. he's in some kind of bad situation uh, he's you know he's so desperate you can hear it in his voice, he writes, if you are silent, I might as well die. I might as well be dead. I need to hear you. He's not just being dramatic, um, although David could be dramatic. But if you know the life of David, you know that it's a real possibility that his life is at stake here. Often, when things were going wrong, his response was to turn to the Lord and write these poems. You know, when I'm in a bad situation, I usually just try to get out of it. David writes, writes poetry special guy but um, you know you can read through his story 1st and 2nd Samuel you can see all the times that his life was in danger there were plots against him from people who were supposed to love him and people who were supposed to take care of him we don't know exactly what's going on in this psalm that motivated David but we do know that it's obvious he's in our bad place but it's not unique in his struggle you know David uh was unique he was a king of a country and his culture and time, and uh, it 's a unique situation because who he is and his role in society, but his words go far beyond any particular cultural context or personal context and what I mean by that is we 've all have dealt in struggles in our life where we feel like everybody is against us. nobody likes us might as well go eat worms right and um, it just occurred to me that that 's actually a Weird way of saying I might as well die, eat worms, because, anyway, sorry. Never caught that before. Um, but we've all dealt with that, and we've all been in that situation where we just, I'm desperate for some help here, Lord. I don't know what to do in this situation. And so we can look at David's words, and this is what I appreciate about David, is he just writes it down, and he's honest about it, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But David, he had such a close relationship with the Lord um, that he's called a man after God's own heart. But he's in this desperate need to know that God is listening to him. And that's what he wants to know. Is God listening? Is God hearing him? I've been through times in my life where it doesn't seem like God is listening to me. And there's been times when I can't hear him speaking to me. This is a two way conversation God listening to me, me hearing God. And there. We've all been through those times, and I have too. I suspect you have too, because all of you, as far as I know, are human, and this is a human condition. Um, We were designed by God to have a relationship with him. He baked it into Adam and Eve, so to speak, uh, from the very beginning. They lived in constant community with God in the Garden of Eden until they rebelled. And after that rebellion, they had to leave his presence But it was there. It was part of who they were. And ever after that, humans, and their deepest part of our hearts, desire this connection. Um, Even those who outwardly reject God, um, they still have this desire. They just don't recognize what this need is. We try to fill it with all kinds of things when we're in rebellion with God. Even those who know God and have been close to him, at those times when you're Sinning, and you don't want to be, you know, face God, you'll try to fill that need for God with whatever, you know, Facebook or, I don't know, cake or all kinds of things. And uh, that's just how humans work. We try to fill that hole with everything that isn't God, but ultimately it's unfulfilling. We need to hear and be heard from God. So David's dealing with this. Is God listening? I need God to hear me, and I need to speak to him. And so, what's David's response to the trouble going on in his life, the bad situation he's in, and does God listening? David responds by turning to God. So, in his desperation, he responds in a way that is unique for someone who's a king. David's a king, right? He has all this power and authority available to him, he has whole armies to command. He has servants, he's a leader of men, of armies, and of a nation. He can take action and get things done with just a word to tell someone to go do something, and it's done. And we see him use that thing later at some point in his life for bad purposes, but he can do that. So why does he do this instead? Instead of taking human action and taking human strategy, he prays. David goes straight to God, and he cries out to him for help and mercy. So verse 2, let me just read this again to you. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help. As I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. The lifting of hands to the holy sanctuary. The holy sanctuary was the holy of holies in the tabernacle. And that is where God's presence was, right? That was the sign of God's presence. So the lifting of his hands to the sanctuary is a symbol of him looking for God's presence. He wants to hear to be heard and to be in God's presence because he knows that is where his salvation is going to come from, from his enemies. His enemies that say they're friendly but actually stab him in the back. So David had no thought, had no problem being honest. He had honest thoughts, uh, and he put them down on paper or parchment or whatever David was writing on. I don't know, actually. But he put them down on his prayer and his feelings, were honest, and he was asking for judgment on his enemies. And when we read that now, it seems uncomfortable to me to be praying to God and say, God, smite them, you know, take them out, and give them what they've... You know, it just doesn't feel right. Like, we're supposed to be all nice and loving and kind, but David's like, dude, take them out, because they're against you. And, um, you know, he asked God not to drag him away with those who are evil, And then maybe this is some insight into the situation, like I said. He says the evil, in this case, are those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planting evil in their hearts. Can you relate to that? Ever had a friend or a boss or someone who was friendly to your face Mm -hmm. uh, but stabs you in the back? And this is what David was dealing with. We've run across people who appear this way. Like I said, it could be a boss, it could be a friend, it could be someone you work with. We can even see it in people in power in government roles or corporations. They say they have our best interests at heart, but their actions clearly show that they don't. And so we've dealt with this. David just lays this all out to God, and he says that he wants justice done. He says, give them the punishment they so richly deserve. We all want justice done when we're harmed, when someone hurts us or hurts someone we love. We want to see justice done when we see people um, taking advantage of innocent or hurting the innocent. We want to see justice done. And it's okay. It's okay to desire to see justice. God is just. Remember, we can't separate any of God's attributes out. He is both loving and good and just and all the other attributes of God that we know of from the Bible about him. He's just. And so we as humans are... We're said we 're images of God, right and we're we 're a fractured image, but we still in our own way refract his image, and justice is part of that it 's part of being the image bearers of God to desire justice but then in verse five, David gets to the root of the problem he says that these evil people they care nothing for what the Lord has done or what he has made, so Anything that Lord that God has done in their lives or things that He has made for these people they don 't care about they just ignore it, they tear it down they they don 't care about it at all, so He asks God to tear them down they 'll never be rebuilt. The heart of the matter is that these people don 't care for God or god 's kingdom or anything that he 's built, done or given to them. This is the heart of all sin and suffering in the world is god 's creation. Turning away from him and not doing the things he's given them to do, so God created humans, He created spiritual beings, He, he created all of it, and those who have will, like the uh, spiritual beings and humans, um, you know he created us to be in a relationship with him, and He gave us jobs to do, and um, we just said, no thanks, we don't want to do that. So we said, we want to build our own kingdom. God has his kingdom remember god 's kingdom is the extent of his rule, where his effective rule where people are in submission to him, and He wants us to help extend that kingdom that's part of our job, but we 're more interested in building our own kingdom, so God but even be, even with that, God offers and extends love to everyone He's gone to great painful lengths to bring us into this family, but most of the world says, "No thanks, I just want to do my own thing." I want to be the king of my world, not you. And so they just reject God. God says, God, or David says, God's going to tear those wicked people down. They will never be rebuilt. There is an immediate consequence that David is looking for in his situation, but there's also an eternal one. There is a day coming when evil will be dealt with. Those who have the blood of Jesus covering them will be welcome to continue in God's kingdom. But those who have rejected God's kingdom in life will not receive it in eternity. They'll just get what they want. So we go through all of this. David airs all of his grievances. He lays it all out for God. He's honest with how he feels. And then how does he respond in verse 6? He responds with praise. Let me just read that. Praise the Lord. That sounds really southern. Praise the Lord, for he has, heard, he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. So he proclaims that God has heard his cry and that he's protected it and helped him, and he's so thankful that He just can't contain himself. He bursts out in song. Have you ever been so joyful that you just can't help yourself from singing praises to God? That's how David feels as he looks at this situation. He knows that God has got him. He's so overflowing with the joy of the Lord and God's protection that he can't keep it in. So let's look at verse 7 about God's protection. David says God is his strength and his shield. And in verse 8, he says that God is his fortress. Paul echoes this and expands on it in his letter that he writes to the Ephesian church. He is encouraging the Christians in Ephesus. This is way later. But he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. And he's encouraging them to live by the Spirit's power. And he's giving them examples of what it looks like to live by the Spirit's power. He had just covered Spirit-powered relationships with family and employees and employers. And then he adds this. In Ephesians six, ten through 18, and I think you'll recognize it. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. God is our shield, but when we live with his power, there are all these other pieces of spiritual body armor that he provides and that are available to us. It's a familiar passage that we've gone over before, and so I'm not going to dwell on the armor, but I do want to point out a couple of ideas from this that dovetail with Psalm 28. Psalm 28. Looking back at Ephesians 6.12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. We really are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's what's in our face. It's what we see as a face of evil in this world, but that's not our true enemy. The true fight is happening on the cosmic realm or the unseen realm. There are spiritual powers we can't see but that are at work in this world to cause pain and suffering to humans and to do whatever they can to draw people away from God. If you want to know more about these forces, we have many, many sermons in the back catalog you can listen to. And uh, they're available on the website from Randy. But just know this. God created spiritual beings known as the sons of God or Elohim, and some of them rebelled just like humans. We may call them demons or other names, but that's who Paul is talking about here when he references the powers of the air. Evil spirits in heavenly places. That is why, um, ultimately, human action is not going to fix all problems. We can fix a few things with human action, but ultimately that's a spiritual problem. You know, there's, we can pass all the laws we want, we can make everything illegal that we want to, But the human heart is still full of sin, and on top of that brokenness, there are the twisted, broken spiritual beings who are working to cause human misery and to keep as many people as possible out of God's kingdom. And they are behind the scenes, leading people in charge, Um, and Deuteronomy 32 tells us that God gave the nations over to the sons of God, and he kept Israel as a special portion, but Um, There will come a day when he gathers all the nations back to himself. But in the meantime, guess who's running things behind the scenes? So there's a cosmic fight. It's a spiritual fight. We try to come at it humanly. There's a spiritual thing going on. We try to come at it with human tools. doesn't seem very smart, does it? I mean, it's like taking a comb to a knife fight. It's actually worse than that. It's like taking a comb to a gunfight. So it's not even... That the comb, you know, it's, it's ineffective, but it's actually not even the same category of tool that you have, right? So, not that a knife and a comb are the same category, but, you know, you get the idea, is it's a whole different level up. And we try to come at spiritual things in human ways. So, we need to fight against these spiritual beings with spiritual weapons. And how do we do that? Well, we saw that in Ephesians 6 with the armor that we've been given to wear. But there's also the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and that's one of our weapons, right? And he's given us prayer. The God of the universe created everything, including all the angels and all these cosmic beings, but he's given us his spirit to live inside of us and empowers us to expand his kingdom. So in light of that, prayer is the final piece of the armor of God. At the end of the passage in Ephesians about the armor of God, Paul says, we are to pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This often gets left out of the teachings about the armor of God, but it shouldn't. It's an essential part of it. Prayer is one of the tools in our package of spiritual warfare, and an important one. And and also, we are taught to be staying alert. So just like someone in the military and the army has to stay alert when the enemy is around them, we need to stay alert as well. Paul's saying you've got all this protection, all this defensive armor to protect you from the evil one. You've got God's word as a sword, which is an enemy, a weapon that the enemy can't stand against. But you also must pray in the spirit at all times. Paul doesn't see prayer as an afterthought. Prayer is not his this ineffectual thing that's just good thoughts or good vibes. It's the ability to access the God of heaven, the creator of the universe. What's more powerful than that? I mean, honestly. In humans, we get this misconception that spiritual things are not really real and the things we can see are real. And But it's all real, all of it, spiritual and what we can see. And the fact things on earth are, you know, a dim copy of the reality of heaven and God's going to recreate everything and bring heaven and earth together and it's going to be so much better. But heaven is real and spiritual realm is real. But we ignore that. We think, you know, what we can touch and see is more real. God says that's not true. And, uh, you know, I think of the movie The Matrix where they think they're living in the real world but in reality, there's this whole other thing that they can't see until they go through the process of submitting themselves and choosing to um, see, open their eyes and see what's going on out there. But um, that's kind of like the spiritual thing. In this reality, prayer is the most effective tool we have available to us, but it gets diminished to thoughts and prayers and good vibes so when there is evil or suffering or a stressful situation, the first and best thing we can do is prayer. You know, we you see, um, I've just seen this in the last few years, anytime there's a tragedy or something bad happens, people will, you know, post on Facebook or whatever about it and say thoughts and prayers, I'm sending thoughts and prayers to you or whatever, and um Sometimes they're sincere and they're going to pray for that person. Sometimes it's just a quick thing to say to say, yeah, I hear that there's something bad happened. But it's become almost like a meme or a joke in that, you know, people say, um, you know, there's been a a school shooting and all Christians want to do is say thoughts and prayers instead of take actual action of whatever someone thinks is the right action to take in that situation. And it just knocks down prayer. It takes it from this powerful thing, to it's just good vibes, which means nothing. I can't send you good vibes. I mean, I can be friendly to you, but that doesn't mean anything as far as really helping you. But prayer is powerful. Think about it. I'll say it again. Prayer is the ability to talk to God, God the creator of time and space. He dwells in inapproachable light. He created our planet with just his words. He holds all of existence together. What human action compares to that? What is more powerful or effective than the prayer of a righteous person? We can go to God. We can approach him in his throne room and take our troubles to him and know that he is in control. We know that God, we can say, God, I don't know what to do about this thing, but I know that you do. I know that you're in control, and will you please help me? His help may not look like what you expect, Sometimes it may be that he changes your attitude instead of the situation. Sometimes he empowers you in an inspected way to help in the situation or to do things. But he will help if you just go to him in prayer. So the interesting thing is Paul is in jail as he writes all this in Ephesians. And he's asking for prayer, not to get out of jail, but to help him spread the good news. To be bold enough to keep proclaiming, keep proclaiming the good news. David, back in Psalm 28, says the Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress. Paul knew this. He understood the power of God, and he relied on that power to complete his mission of sharing the good news of God's kingdom with those who are far from God. And this is the good news. God loves us. He wants relationship with us. He created us, and even though we have each rebelled against him in sin, He had a plan from the beginning to bring us back into his kingdom and family. That plan was that Jesus would die in our place for our sins. as the perfect sacrifice. Because of Jesus, we can be welcomed back into God's family and we can be a part of his kingdom. And by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we can help expand that kingdom. That's the good news. This relationship with God is what David is pursuing at the end of Psalm 28. Let me bring that back up. Let me read that to you again. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Verse 9. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them in your arms forever. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Jesus will carry us through it all in his arms if we will turn to him. And we can turn to him in prayer. Let's close with prayer. Father, it's easy to think of prayer as just the thing you say before you eat or before you start or at the end of a church service. Just some nice words to get people in the mood for whatever is going on and thinking about it. When we forget how powerful it is, real prayer is coming to you and laying out our hearts to you and expecting an answer and knowing that when we're in trouble you are the one who can help us more than anybody else. And Father, I just pray that you would help me to remember the power of prayer and to turn to you. And I ask that thing, same thing for each person in this room. I know we have some powerful prayer warriors here, and I thank you for that, Jesus. And I just pray that as we go through the rest of our Sunday and our week, that as we hear whatever new thing comes along this week that is bad, And the news always brings the bad to us. I just pray that we would keep our eyes turned on you. Remember that you are the king of the world. And that we can come to you and uh, lay our troubles at you and know that you will help us. Father, I ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.